Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. It's great to be here, great to be outside. Uh, There's something that I'm particularly excited about and I want you all to listen. Now, you can drop these things with impunity because I'm not going to hear anything. So um, when we were dropping them inside, it would sound like an echo. Thank you very much for that. My name is Nick. Um, I'm going to jump right in. This is part three of our series, Portraits of Peace. And um, we are in uh, the section where Isaiah describes the coming Messiah. And we are looking at everlasting Father. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the time of the year where... uh, People do a lot of um, kind of traditional things. Our, our tradition is the day after Thanksgiving, we go on a hike, we get our uh, Christmas tree. Um, I put up the lights on the outside, Karen decorates the inside, and then we watch Elf and have um, hot chocolate. Uh, there's a friend of mine in Boise who is a huge six-foot guy, um, over 200 pounds, very muscular. His thing is watching Hallmark movies. I don't get it, but that's his thing. But I enjoy, um, I enjoy this kind of time. And one of the movies that I've been watching, spoiler alert, is, um, it's not a movie, actually. It's an E3, E60 story. Fat surprise. It's, it's about sport, right? Um, and it's a story called Run Color. And um, he was born in 1972, which is the year that I was born. And in 1973, he was, uh, he was adopted. And uh, when he was 16, 17 years old, he showed a lot of promise as a, as a running back. And there were a number of colleges that were actually vying for him to come and play football at those colleges. And he was in class one day, and he was, he was looking out of the window, and he saw this guy get out of his tricked-out Mercedes. And uh, he happened to be the running back, back coach at uh, Miami Hurricanes. And for some reason, he felt drawn to this guy. So he decided, you know, that he would... Um, that, that he would go to Miami to play. Anyway, as most of the stories work out, things didn't work out as well as he had expected. Um, he was a star running back in Miami, but he got injured in preseason in the NFL and never got to play a live snap in the NFL. But because of his relationship with this guy, he got a lot of opportunities. He got a lot of opportunities to be a coach. He a lot of, uh, got a lot of opportunities in different places. And um, we fast forward to 2017, and um, he's now 45 years old. And something interesting has happened in the context of Ohio law. For whatever reason, uh, the government had decided that all adoptions would be sealed. Um, And so you couldn't find out who your birth parents were. But in 2017, that was overturned. And in 2017, he's now 45, and he has four of his own children, and he decides he's going to find out who his biological dad is. Well, he goes through the process, and he connects through Facebook, which I guess is the main way that people do it nowadays in in terms of finding out your biological parents. And he, he gets in contact with his mom. 
Um, and not only did his mom think that he was adopted by a rich family in Columbus whose dad was a doctor and whose mom was a stay-at-home, that never happened. He actually was adopted by a family friend who lived a mile away from her. They used to frequent the same supermarket. She probably would have seen him play in the same playgrounds. Not only did they find that out, but she found out that, um, I mean, but they found out that his dad left when he was two years old. Uh, so not only was he adopted into a family, but he never knew his dad. And so now within him rises this idea of wanting to know who my biological dad is. So he asks his mom and he says, hey, mom, can I, can I find out who my dad is? She says, well, he doesn't know. Uh, he doesn't know that he has a son. He, he doesn't even know that I was pregnant. He was about to go for college, and so he has no idea. So he says, well, I'd, I'd really like to know. So she says, well, your dad is Sherman Smith. And he says, Sherman Smith? Are you kidding? It's like, no, why? Do you know him? It's like, he's been my coach. He's the guy that I went to in Miami and found some kind of connection with. He's, he's the guy that has mentored me. He's, he's like, he has been my dad for the last 28 years. He's the person I go to when I have problems. He's, he's the person that now, right now, he's the running back coach for Kansas City, and he's the person that gave me that opportunity. I know who he is. Well, now there's a problem. This isn't some random guy that he doesn't have any relationship with. This is someone that he has a relationship with, so he, he doesn't know what to do. So he calls Sherman, and he says, hey, Sherman, it's, it's Dylan. Can I talk to you about something that's important? So he says, sure, I'm, I'm busy in practice. Call me back later. He calls him back, and he says, hey, you know that I've been trying to find out who my biological parents are? And he's like, yeah, so how's that going? And he says, well, I found out who my dad is. And he's like, oh, man, that's so exciting. And he's like, you're my dad. Sherman Smith is 63 years old. He has two grown sons that have now left. He literally has just found out that he has a son. So he doesn't know how this is going to work. And, and so as you can imagine, he says, well, I mean, that's a bit overwhelming right now. That, that news is overwhelming, but um, can, can we do a paternity test to find out whether this is true? And while the paternity test is waiting, uh, Dylan's... Um, Dylan's on, I mean, uh, Sherman's on comes to him and, and has one look, a photo of Dylan and a photo of Sherman and says, don't waste your money on a paternity test, man. This, this, guy's, this guy's your son. And he says, well, we, we just got to make sure. The paternity, comes, the paternity test comes back positive and they decide, um, obviously they've met before, but he says, well, can, can we talk about this? Sherman looks out of his, out of his window and he sees Dylan and, and Dylan is in the car. And he's been there for like 15 minutes. And Sherman is waiting for him to come. It's not like they've never met before. They know each other. But Dylan's in the car and he's like, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how he's going to be received. He, and, and Sherman's like, man, this is taking a long time. Eventually, Dylan gets out of the car and starts making his way to the front door. And Sherman opens the front door and he says, my son. That's why I keep watching that movie, right? <laughs> He says, I've never heard those words in my life before. And he says, to have those words heard by a person who was, in essence, my dad, um, has been the most transforming, dramatic thing for me. And I was thinking about the idea of our everlasting father and thinking about some key differences uh, between the way that we have been fathered um, and the story. And one of the key differences 
that I find in the context of the Christmas story is that Advent is a story not of us finding our dad, but of our dad becoming human in the form of a child in order to find us. Just like there was this legal impediment of stopping Dylan from finding out who his biological father was. No, we're going to seal those records. There's a legal impediment of us being able to have full and complete relationship with God. And that problem is the sin and the penalty that needs to be paid for it. The other difference is that Sherman is 63 years old. Dylan is 45 years old. There's no sacrifice. There's no sense of engagement. It just happens to be that they found out what they meant to each other. It's not like Sherman is now going to father Dylan from a sacrificial perspective. But from us, as we have been found and rescued by eternal father, there was a sacrifice that was paid. It, was a no, it wasn't a no-cost outcome. It was the fact that by the death of of our eternal Father's Son, we could be united with Him. The one that had access to the Father was denied access on the cross so that we could have access to the Father. This is a scripture that is not often read during Advent, but this is a scripture that shows us that the Son sacrifices, the Father adopts, and the Spirit seals. Galatians 4 verses 4 to 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem, and that word means justify or absolve those who were under the law, all of us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now I want to mention something about the gender use of the word son. This isn't specifically meaning male. This means a child of God. So when you read son, read a child of God. It's not separating a, you know, a, a son from a daughter. Now, redemption, justification, and absolution is something that we needed. It was the legal impediment that prevented us from having relationship with God. Um, redemption lang language is, is legal. It, it sees God as judge. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem, to justify, to absolve those who were under the law. But absolution and justification on its own is not sufficient for what we need to walk through this life. The fact that we absolved of any consequence of our sin um, and any rebellion is remarkable enough, but it's, it's, not, it's not sufficient. The joy and necessity of justification must not and cannot be minimized by the idea that adoption is a competing theology. Not only were we justified by God, but we were adopted into his family. And understanding justification is the door of entering into the joy of adoption. Now, I've read this quote before, but it's, it's essential in us being able to understand the concept of adoption. Justification, by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with his acceptance for the future, is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. This is not in question. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. His law condemns us. His, our guilt gnaws at us. It makes us restless, miserable, and in our lucid moments afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with our maker. So then we need forgiveness of sins and assurance of a restored relationship with God more than we need anything else in the world. And this is what the gospel offers us before it offers anything else. 
But with adoption, adoption is a family idea. It is conceived in terms of love and it views God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and his fellowship. Whoa. Sorry about that. Takes us into his family and into his fellowship. And he establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, generosity are the heart of this relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. That's what J.I. Packer says. Now, in, in Roman times, when you adopted someone, you handpicked someone that would make your name great. You looked for someone that could actually establish your family name in a, in a better way. Now, a friend of mine went to um, a dog pound, and I won't tell you who he is, but some of you know who he is, because he wanted to get a dog for his children. And um, so how many of you think that when people go to the dog pound, they're looking for the most flea-ridden, uh, skinniest, most aggressive, most um, uh, impractical dog? No, you're actually looking for the nicest, cutest uh, dog that is not going to make your life a misery. The, the challenge is, is that we all think we're the cute dog. We all think we're the one that who wouldn't pick us? We are so cute. We don't have fleas. We are nice. We don't bark at people. We don't. No, we're not. Uh, scripture tells us that while we were enemies of God, God pursued us. We were not the cute little dog in the pound. We were the one that nobody wanted. And God came into the pound and said, my son, I'll have him. I'll have her. The challenge with this is that we compare God our Father to our earthly fathers. And this is a challenge uh, because we've had absent fathers. We've had abusive fathers. We've had distant fathers. And even those that have been fathered well will know that it hasn't been sufficient. But Nick, you didn't have my dad. You didn't have my upbringing. Now, I'm not minimizing your pain in the context of, of fatherhood and, and how difficult it may be to see God as everlasting father. But I also don't want you to be robbed by your experience. Because if you allow your past experience to shape the view of what eternal father is like, you will continue to be robbed through that process. Why is it important for me to see God as father? Well, one of the most important reasons is because God wants to be known as father. Uh, it's the way that he self-describes himself. When Jesus talked to us about how to interact with God, he said, our father. In fact, he called him Abba, dad. And this was blasphemy. This was revolutionary. This was way too familiar uh, for the religious sect in those days. It was way too disrespectful to call him Abba. The idea of calling him Abba shatters the distant deity idea and makes way for joyful intimacy. As some of you know that the, the way in which we um, interact with each other and what we call each other is often a show of affection and joy. So some people may think that if they want to be close to me, they should call me Nikki, right? No, no, you don't call me Nikki. Why? Because I don't want you to call me Nikki. And so the most important thing about God being our father is that God wants you to call him dad. He's saying, this is how I want you to interact with me. I want you to call me dad. I want you to call me Abba because that is the dominant picture that I want you to have of me is as a close, loving, intimate, connected father. This doesn't just have personal implications. 
This has communal ramifications. Because if we admit and if we are saying that we are sons and daughters of the living God, then we're equally saying that we're part of a family. Uh, that if God is our father, Jesus is our brother. And this is the family of God. Together we represent him. We're either a crowd of survivors, a coffle of slaves. And yes, that is a real word. I looked it up. Um, or we are a family together. Together we represent God. We are not just justified orphans, survivors, or slaves. Our lives and message would not be compelling if we were anything other than dearly loved children of God, inviting others to be able to taste of what that looks like. So the implications of adoption are threefold. They give us security, they give us intimacy, and they give us family. And in the context of security, one of the most important things is that our salvation is secure. Scripture tells us that before the foundation of the world was set, that he knew us. This is very, very different to the way in which gods were seen in, in, in the days of Jesus. This, the, the Greeks would see gods as um, mischievous kind of players that would use humanity for their own gains. Or the sense of... Okay. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Yes, the Greeks, would see, um, the, the Greeks would see gods as those that would play with humanity. Uh, and there was a sense in which humanity needed to placate gods. This idea that God would come to us in order to have relationship with us was something absolutely revolutionary. The cool thing about our salvation is that it is ultimately secure. It's secure because we could not attain it. And because we can't attain it, there's nothing we can do to maintain it. Our salvation is completely and utterly held in the grip of God's grace. What he did, he will complete. Our performance anxiety ceases. When we hear the words, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. God the Father modeled that with Jesus before his baptism, where he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, before he did anything. Now, for those of us that are prone to performance anxiety, um, this is a difficult thing. Uh, the reality is most of us feel more useful when there's a sense in which we are saying, okay, I can do something for God, or I can perform in a way to make myself more likable to him. And he's saying, no, you can't. Even Jesus... I'm going to ignore that, even though I didn't. Even Jesus had this spoken over him, and it was spoken over Jesus as the first son to be able to say to each and every one of, of you, you are his beloved child, and in you he is well pleased. Our performance anxiety ceases because we have a reward based on someone else's action. And, and the fact that Jesus did what he did, lived the life that he lived, died the death that he died, and was resurrected means that we have the benefits and rewards of the action that Jesus committed. This is like in, in Christmas time now when um, Karen gives gifts to different people and writes these beautiful cards, and then people come to me and they say, oh, Nick, thank you so much for that gift and that kind, thoughtful card. And I say, you're welcome. We love you so much. What did you get? You know, And I benefit out of Karen's kindness, and I benefit out of her ability to give the right gift, and I benefit out of her words because she always signs the card, Nick and Karen. And there's a sense in which 
what Jesus has done, we get to benefit from. Because of the blood that he spilt and because of the victory that he won in the resurrection from the dead, we are able to benefit from his performance. This also means that we can have discipline without rejection. This doesn't mean that we don't have any discipline. It just means that we have proper discipline. How many of you guys were disciplined before and your parents would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? How many of you ever believed that? Right? Very few of us. But one thing we can be secure about is knowing this, that God will never discipline us out of a bad mood. He will never discipline us out of embarrassment. He will never even discipline us out of his own pain because he can't. He can't do that. It's not in his nature. God's discipline for us is always and only for our own good. But I will say this. God is our father, not our grandfather. And what that means is this, there will be discipline. In Thessalonians 2, verses 11 to 12, Paul is talking to the church and he says, As a father was with his own children, we encouraged, good, we comforted, yes, and we implored or exhorted you to have a life worthy of the call of God. And so there's a sense in which we need to recognize that. When, um, when we would give Kiona, when she was very young, to gym, and we would say, now remember, she's not to eat any sugar before bed, and she's not to do any of this, and make sure she doesn't watch enough TV. And he would say, no, I'm her grandfather, not her father. I'm going to give her whatever she wants. And there's a sense in which grandfathers together with fathers, they partner well. But if you have one without the other, one can seem too harsh. But God is our kind generous father. He disciplines us for, his, for our own good. Understanding adoption and the implications of adoption gives us a deeper sense of intimacy with our father. There was a phase that Erin went through when she used to call me Father Nick. She would be Father Nick and I'd be Daughter Erin. Um, and for whatever reason, I didn't feel very intimately connected with her when she would say Father Nick. And now, is it true? Yes. Um, is it what I am? Yes but I prefer dad. Um, and there's a sense in which connection in the context of understanding our adoption through worship is elevated when we understand the closeness, affection, and intimacy that the Father wants us to experience. And this is not just for women. Secure men not only have the ability to give and receive affection, but desire to give and receive affection to the one that is most worthy of our affection. A couple of months ago, we went through um, Downton Abbey. Uh, we watched that again. Um, and, and many of you won't know this, but um, the, the whole idea of fathers and, and high tea in the afternoon was this, that you wouldn't see your kids except for that hour. The nannies would bring the kids into the tea lounge or whatever it was called, and you would spend an hour with your children while the nannies were there, but literally just to be in that presence. This sounds weird, right? But that's how we did things. And, and for some of us, that's what we feel like. For some of us, our Sundays can be this idea of like, okay, I'm coming in and I'm going to spend time with my dad in this hour and um, there's going to be other people around and um, I'm going to receive whatever I'm going to receive. It's not like that with our everlasting father. It's not like that because scripture tells us that we can boldly enter his throne of grace looking for time, looking for help in our time of need. It is completely different. It is the fact that when I enter the throne of grace, that whose door has been opened by Jesus, that 
God the Father sees me and says, my son. Stops everything and says, my son. And I've walked in and I get to spend intimate communion with God. These gatherings are important. But ultimately, what is going to fuel us for a life of difficulty and hardship, which is what most of us have tasted, is not just the family of God, critically important, but our ability to walk into the throne of grace and to hear God say, my son, my daughter. Lastly, we experience the whole idea of family, brothers and sisters. God is our father. Jesus is our brother. We have been pulled into a purposeful family. Our interactions with each other should change if we view each other as family rather than members of the same club. I have needs that are designed to be met by the rest of this family. That's how God designed it. That's, that's why he designated the church as the only thing that he would be building until the time that he returns. We need mothers and fathers in the context of this church community. God fathers and mothers us, but there's a sense in which every one of us can play a similar role to everyone else. There are those that are advanced in age, like me, uh, that can play the role of father, but we need coaches and leaders and, and those that can spur us on. But ultimately, what we do need is to be able to model to the world a picture of family that is attractive and that people are saying, I want to be able to understand what it's like to have God as my father. One of the ways that we can help introduce them to that is having them be part of us, sons and daughters before they become I mean, brothers and sisters before they become sons and daughters. I have a necessary and valid role in the family of God that others benefit from. I mean, the fact that we're here, guys, we're here at 7 o'clock in the morning, setting up umbrellas, buying extension cords, um, riding here with extra XLR cables so that we could have what we want. We all play a significant role. There have been ways in which many of you have reached out to others in the context of this community. And I want to thank you for that because what that displays is not only love for each other, but love for God. The wonderful counselor gives us direction. The mighty God gives us a sense of security, but everlasting Father gives us a deep sense of intimacy. Adoption is something that we experience. It's not something that we study. It's something that we know that we have received, and it sinks deep in our soul. And for most of us, there's a sense in which we've come to terms with the idea of justification. We are deeply thankful and grateful that our sins have been forgiven. But we haven't necessarily tasted this deep well of adoption. How do we do that? Again, Packer says this. You can tell I was reading Packer, right? The healthy Christian is not necessarily the extrovert or joyful Christian. But the Christian who has a sense of God's presence stamped deep in their soul, who trembles at God's word and who lets it dwell in him richly by constant meditation upon it and tests and reforms his life daily in response to it. Very practically, one of the ways that we are able to connect on an experiential level with God as Father, is to enter the throne of grace. And one of the ways that we enter the throne of grace is through the means of grace that God has given us, through prayer and meditation and Bible reading and connecting with the, other, with the community of God. Those are ways in which we are able to taste those things. And so if you're saying, well, I'm not sure that I really understand that, then 
then let's practice these things as we've continued, as, as, as Maddie was saying, during this time of Advent, to say, God, over this week, I want to be able to see you and experience you as a good father. I want to be able to know what that tastes like. I want to be able to know what that smells like. I want to be able to know what that, that feels like. Where do I start? The gift of his word. Where do I start? In times of prayer and silence and meditation, where do I start? Talk to someone that I feel has, has a deep revelation of what it means to be in relationship with a father. Let me suggest another place to start. Another place to start may be forgiveness. Maybe a place to start would be to forgive our earthly fathers. Forgive them for what we didn't receive. Forgive them for what we did receive. Maybe father figures in your life that need to be forgiven. Whether you've been hurt or ignored actively or passively. Maybe you need to forgive God. Maybe there were expectations that you set where there's a sense in which you believed God was a certain way. And we know the story of the prodigal sons, and it's not usually told that way, right? It's not usually said the prodigal sons, but both of them didn't understand their dad. The one son uh, believed that God was a killjoy and that the boundaries that he set uh, were not going to help him flourish, and so he left his dad. The other son believed God to be not fair. And so we have this idea of God is not fair or God is not fun. And maybe those are areas of repentance that we need to walk in before we can actually see God as our loving, eternal Father. In my life, I've, I've been let down and rejected. And so the commentary, the judgment, Katie, on my life is that I don't need anyone and I'm not going to rely on anyone. And those are things that we in our internal minds, need to recognize and repent of. On the surface, I may act like I don't feel sorry for myself, but deep down, I feel abandoned and resentful that I have to take care of myself. As we spend time meditating and thinking about these things, and we realize there are some barriers to us being able to accept the extravagant love of the Father. And that's not because of the way He feels about us, but because of our past and even present things that we are saying to ourselves. Lastly, we, we need to ask. We just simply need to ask. It is the Holy Spirit. We experience the Father's love through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to have this experiential, tangible experience of God as our Father. And Jesus tells us in the book of Luke how to receive that. We simply ask. Luke 11, verses 11 to 13 says, Jesus is saying, What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, many of you have heard that verse before, and many of you have heard it in the context of provision. You know, now, go to your dad. He knows what you want, and he'll give you the good thing. This isn't in the context of provision. This is in the context of asking for the Holy Spirit. Listen. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How do we experience tangibly the idea that God is our everlasting Father? We ask. We ask. Ask, and the door will be opened. That's the context of the Scripture. That's what Jesus is saying. What are we asking for? We're saying, God, I know that your spirit lives in me when I responded in faith 
to the declaration that Jesus made that there is no other way to the Father except through me. I know that the Spirit of God dwells in me, and what I'm asking is for a tangible sense of your presence, understanding you as my good Father. Why do we need that? Because deep intimacy leads to deeper honesty, which leads to deep healing. And if we know that we are cared for, we can be honest. And if we are honest, we are able to be healed from whatever is ailing us. A friend of mine, uh, they adopted a child and they had the child in their home probably about, yeah, it was, it was at least two months. And this child never cried. This child was about eight to ten months old. And he was malnourished. And when he came to them, he just never cried. The, psych- the psychologist would tell us that the reason he never cried is because no one listened. So there wasn't any, there wasn't any point in him crying. And so... And so this went on for a couple of months. You know, they would take care of him. They would change him. They would feed him. They would, they would do whatever they needed to do to take care of this child. One day, he came to work, and I said, what's going on? And he said, he cried. He cried. Now, we have some newborn parents. How many of you are super excited that your child is crying? Probably not a lot of us. But he was so excited because finally that child was in a place where he understood, even in his own very, very young mind, that if he cried out of an honest need, there would be a response. So it would be worth crying. And for us, the desire for for deeper intimacy is to be able to to, to go to our dad, to go to our father and say, I'm lost. I'm angry. I'm annoyed. I'm upset. I don't know what it is that I'm feeling. Walk into his throne of grace. He says, my son, come and tell me. Come and tell me. Because I want to hear that cry. I want to be able to bring a sense of community with you, me and you together, that we can work this out. I want you to be able to know that you are heard, fully known and fully seen. I want you to know that the sacrifice was not just a legal transaction. It was me deciding to bring you into my family. I want you guys to be able to hear the Father say to you, you are my beloved child. In you, I'm well pleased. Let's pray, Patrick, you can come up. Father, I want to thank you for your kindness. I want to thank you that we will never know the strong kindness that you, we will never know the strength of your kindness unless we submit to your invitation to be loved by you. God, I want to thank you that for many, many people in the soccer arena, the reality of being justified by faith is is true. It is unshakable. But I also know for many of us, the understanding of having you as our everlasting father, as the one that welcomes us, as the one that says, my daughter, my son, is not that real a reality. And so, Father, this morning, I just pray, even as we respond in song, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would do a deep work. I want to pray that those that need to forgive our earthly fathers, or even you, for what has happened, that we would be able to do that by the power of your Spirit. 
I want to pray, Father, that those of us that need to ask, Spirit of God, help me tangibly experience the love of the Father in a way that changes me, would be able to do that. Spirit of God, come now. Come now and break the lies of the enemy. Come now and show yourself to be who you are, the everlasting Father, the one that has not only rescued us from sin, but invites us into his family. Come and show us that we are your children, well loved and you are pleased with us. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.